0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us this morning. Thank you for just your story and then what you've done for us. And Lord, as we just look into your word this morning, as we continue our series in the summer in the, with the sun, I pray, Lord, that we will be blessed by just seeing you in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the process of doing a series of called Summer in the Sun. And I trust you're being Blessed by seeing Jesus in action. What have we seen Jesus do in the last few weeks? You're allowed to answer. That's that school teacher in me. What, what have you seen Jesus do in the last few weeks? What? He cast out demons. What? He calmed the storm. What else did he do? He raised the dead. He raised Jairus's daughter. What else? He healed, that, he healed that woman who touched his cloak. I read a phrase yesterday that says, we all need to touch his cloak, like that woman. What else? He, he healed a leper. You know, Jesus has done these amazing things. <clears throat> um, we have watched Jesus do some remarkable things. He both rocks the boat of tradition, and in so doing, ministers to a very hurting world. The one thing that stayed on my heart from last week's message, and Pastor Tim said it at the very beginning of the message. He said, what is the one thing you never see Jesus do in Scripture? He said it at the very beginning of his message last week. Does anybody remember? My last two services got it, so the pressure's on. He never turned anybody away. I called and he answered. You know, Jesus never turned anybody away when they came to Him. And, uh, you know, we we have we have the wrong concept of God so ingrained in this society. He is a God that just can't wait to minister to us as we pour ourselves out to Him, our, as our, our heart and we come to Him. Um We watched him rock the boat of tradition. He had a a tax collector follow him. Nobody likes tax collectors, you know. But he he called a tax collector to follow with him. Um, I trust as this series continues that we can catch the heart of Jesus because it is only in catching the heart of Jesus that we become transformed into the image of Christ. The Spirit of God is in the process of transforming us into His image daily. And as God is doing that in our hearts, it comes as we begin to see Jesus for who He is. I love teaching the life of Christ. I'm doing it on Thursday nights with the men. uh, But it's just exciting. Last week, He healed Jairus' daughter and the woman who touched his cloak. And there were three events that take place before this morning's text. 1 Jesus does it again he rocks the boat of tradition again he walks into a synagogue and he sees a man with a withered hand and he asked them Jesus was challenging Jesus is always challenging our hearts to understand what the real priorities of life is and he looked at the people around him with his eyes and he said is it good to do is it wrong to do good on the sabbath what a loaded question Boy, did he rock their tradition. And and then he looked at the hand with the withered hand and said, stretch out your hand, and he healed them on the Sabbath. And two things happened at that point in time. A lot of people rejoiced because they began to understand what's really right, what's really important, and what are are the priorities in life. And the other side began to hate them. Hate him. There's a wall drawn up. When men begin to live in their own self-righteous traditions, The freedom that is in Christ rocks their boat. But we have watched him do all of these things. That was the one event. second event that takes place before this morning's text is that John the Baptist is killed. John the Baptist is beheaded. And it's interesting because the third event that happens between this, which leads us into today's text, is in Mark chapter 6. In Mark 6... You can always tell the ministers that are technologically challenged. How can you tell when the minister is technologically challenged? What's not here? It's usually always here. There's, there's no PowerPoint up here. So, you know, it's very hard to teach old dogs new tricks. This, so But anyway, Mark 6. <clears throat> um, and it's interesting that right on the heels of John the Baptist is Death, Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Verse 7, calling the 12 to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. So Jesus now, John the Baptist's voice is now silenced. Jesus now takes the disciples and he begins to send them out to talk about the kingdom of God. This is the disciples' first chance to go out and minister the things that they have heard walking with Jesus. How long have they been with Jesus at this point in time? Does anybody know? It's probably about a year. Maybe two. Maybe two years, you know, they've been with Jesus. They haven't finished theological school yet. They haven't got their degrees, their doctorates. Jesus says, go and share and teach, you know, Teach from the experience of walking with me, you know. Uh, but he sends them out, so that begins that that brings us to our text in verse thirty, chapter six. In verse thirty, the apostles gathered around Jesus, and reported to him all they had done and taught. So now they had just had this exciting time out there, cast out demons. They did all kinds of different things, and they came back. And they told Jesus all the things that they had done and they had done. And by the way, that is so normal for you and I as new believers trying to step out and serve the Lord. It is so interesting. What was missing in what they just shared? It's all that what? They did and they accomplished. As new believers, one of the most easy things for us to do is we always begin to pat ourselves on the back and we begin to take credit for what we do. You know, and uh, probably one of the most dangerous times in a believer's life is after a spiritual victory. We are so quick to take credit for our own spiritual victory of what we have done. And then we start to talk about it. And, and it's a dangerous time. Um, <clears throat> we lose track of the fact that it is God working in me and through me to minister to the world around me. Um... So, but then verse thirty-one, and now you're going to see Jesus teach his disciples. I love Jesus has a, such a great way of teaching truth to his disciples. <clears throat> but anyways, then because so many people, verse thirty-one, were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest." Where is rest found? according to that verse, where is rest found? Where? At a quiet place with Jesus. Rest is found in a quiet place with Jesus. We live in such a society. We are in such a rush to do so much. You know, um, I think, you know, the battle in this country we somehow think that if we are not busy every minute of our working lives, we are lazy and sinful. We do not know how to genuinely rest in the Lord. I mean, that's my battle. I, I got a little bit of spare time here. I could do that. I could do that. Boy, look at the word What's the word? Bad word in there. I. You know. You know. Fill a slot. I could do that. Some of you know. It's just like, yeah, I could do. It. I, I. 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 You know. Some of us are afraid to get alone with our thoughts. And I assure you, the more we understand about grace, the easier it gets to become alone with the Lord and examine our hearts. Because when we examine our hearts with the understanding of God's grace and how he pours it out to us, when we allow scripture to teach us truth, we will find a Christ that loves us with a compassion that we have barely begun to understand. He is a God that just loves us. You know, and now, they don't actually get to go away at this point in time. The events are going to change that. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Verse 33, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Jesus had now developed a reputation. I mean, you would develop a reputation too if you were raising the dead and casting out demons and you know, healing the sick. I mean, Jesus has now developed quite a reputation. So people are beginning to run out there. And I don't know what the motive of these people are, but I, I'll tell you what, I would want to go see this happen too, uh, you know. And uh, But when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus has compassion on people. You know, we have a view of God. And, I mean, I, even after I was saved, I was in churches where I have a view of a God that just couldn't wait to whack me because I did something wrong. And, you know, that's not the Jesus in this scripture. He has compassion. He hurts for us. The one, that's one thing. The other thing I picked up out of last week's message from Tim. He is an emotional God. And he hurts when we're, you know, when we're struggling, and all of a sudden life is starting to cave in on us because of the consequences of a lot of our bad choices. We sit there and we want to punish ourselves, and we, oh, we're so terrible. God is just up there hurting with us. He's hurting with us. He's not up there. Angry with us, he's hurting with us, trying to draw us to his place of guidance so that we could begin to grow and walk with him where he is. Um, but Jesus had compassion. Um, now I always do this, I go halfway through my message without even looking. All right, so, but now comes the dilemma. Now comes the dilemma. You know, by this time, it was late in the day, verse 35. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they could go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, we have the disciples here. Now, we have all these people out there, 4,000 men plus women and children. So we're looking at close to 10,000 people sitting out here, Jesus has compassion on them. The disciples saw them as an intrusion. What are we going to do for these people? What, how are we going to take care of their needs? How, how you know, what, what's going to go on? Where can we, what can we do? And you know, what a contrast. These are the same men that just got done, what? Casting out demons. These are the same men who just walked out and saw God do some miraculous things in their lives, you know. But <clears throat> Jesus is so much fun. I mean, I love this. You know? They look at him and says, and by the way, in Luke, it says that Jesus even instigated the whole thing. Jesus knew what he was doing, trying to teach them and minister to them. Jesus actually asked Philip, he says, hey, what do you think we're going to do with this crowd today? And all of a sudden, it's like, what? What? we got to do this? Well, who's going to, and the, I mean, look at the questions, you know. Uh, you know, well, oh, actually, it comes, questions after. He says, uh, he answers them. You know, he looks at them and says, hey, you feed them. And Lord, there's 10,000 people out there and you're telling us we need to feed them. You know, and, and I could just see, can't you see? It's fun to imagine. Can you imagine what the disciples are doing at this time? They, they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we going and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? I mean, what are you thinking, Jesus? I mean, all of a sudden, we've got to feed all these 10,000 people. You know, here's the dilemma. And Jesus is setting them up for this because he wants to teach them some important truth, some very valuable truth. <clears throat> Jesus says, how many loaves do you have, he asked Go and see. You know, he said, you feed them. And then he says, what do we have here? They said, well, you, go and see. So the one thing you want to understand is that Jesus didn't ask them for what they didn't have. How many of you think had eight months of wages on them? My probably. I mean, how many of you walk around with eight months of your wages in your pockets? You know, two-thirds, sorry, that speaker is in my pocket. I keep hitting it. Um, So, you know, how many of us walk around with eight months of wages in our pockets? So, Jesus says, you feed them. But he says, how many loaves do you have? He says, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Jesus is not interested in what we don't have. He is interested in what we have. God is not asking us of things that we don't have. He wants to take what we have, and he wants to multiply it. He is not interested in the education that you don't have. He is interested in the experience that you do have. And every one of us has the experience of knowing him, knowing a God who loved me and saved me from my sins. That's precious, you know, and that is ours. Some of the greatest soul winners were in our people without a formal education. You know, when we take the gospel, you know, we are so educated in this country. I mean, I'm not against education or against going to Bible school, but, I mean, I did. I'm a graduate of Bible school. But, you know, when we take the gospel to the uh, outreach to the jungles of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea, and we win these people to Christ by sharing the story of the gospel, you know, from chronological teaching and have them come and find Christ. They still don't have a written language. They don't have the Bible in their language. They don't have a a written language anywhere. That's four and five years down the road before our missionaries are able to take their language, translate it, write it down phonetically, and then teach the people how to read and write their own language, and then translate God's Word into their language. And yet some of these people are going out from village to village and sharing the truth of having found Jesus. And God is multiplying, you know, His church through that work. God is interested in what we have. We have a relationship with the living God. It's Christ, the hope of glory, we are indwelt by Christ alone. He has the hope of glory out there, that He's ours. He says, you know, my mother never graduated from elementary school, yet she impacted my life tremendously with certain truths that I've never forgotten in my life. God brings things into our lives and just sound advice and things like that. God wants to use us in people's lives as we grow. Jesus now has the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100. There is not enough food to feed one of these groups, let alone 5,000 plus women and children. So let's say there are 10,000 people here. And we put them in groups of 50. That's 200 groups of 50 people sitting out there. There was not enough food to feed one of those groups, let alone all those groups of people. Did you ever wonder what happened? You know, I mean, you know, we read, we read the Bible so much, you know, we've got to have our devotions, so i got to have our devotions. i to read my Bible. I'm done with Mark, you know. Did you ever figure out what the heck happened that day? How did Jesus do this? Did all of a sudden he wave a magic wand and the U.S. Navy come flying in with all these stacks and piles and piles of food and put it down there and said, here's the food to feed the hungry. Now you guys have the problem of distributing it to 10,000 people. Think that's what happened? And that's not what happened. You know, Jesus takes what is there. He takes the ro- the rows. He says, what do you have? He says, when they found out, they said five and two fish. Verse 39, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. He took them, He blessed, He took what was there, He blessed it, He broke it, and He gave it to the disciples. And what happens if the disciples look at it and say, this isn't even enough for us? You know, but what did they do with it? They took it, they gave, they they distributed it. And what's interesting is, the miracle is as they shared, God what? God multiplies. God is not interested in what we don't have. He is interested in what we have. As we take what we have and we begin to share it and use it, God will multiply it. First Corinthians 1, it says that some people water, others plant, some plants, some water. God gives the increase. This is God's work. God multiplies. <clears throat> um, she's my sister. You get a group of young people. They have a burden for these people in Africa. They say, what do we do? Well, what do we do? What do you have? Well, they certainly didn't have all this money, but they certainly had their bicycles. They got on their bicycles and they rode. That's all they had to offer. God took the bicycles and multiplied the fruit. Amazingly so. I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars get multiplied because they took what they had and they did with what... God wasn't interested in what they didn't have. God was only interested in what they had. And what did they have? They had a heart for these people. And when we have a heart for people, God takes it and He uses it and then He multiplies the fruit for it. You know, we, we spend so much time trying to arrive somewhere before enjoying who we are in Christ and how God wants to use our lives. I have a friend of mine who was a missionary. He said, what's interesting, he said, when I gave my life to become to the mission field, he said, I sold everything I had, paid off all my debts, and when I was all done paying off my debts, I had $200. And I went into the training program. And he said, folks, he said, that was 50 years ago, and God hasn't stopped meeting my needs. I, I, I can tell you, when we went to language school, my wife and I had $50 a month support promised. Actually, the first month we had $25. The second month it doubled. We had 50. You know, and we we ate potatoes out of the food cellar and bread that was in the food cellar. You know, for a couple months while we were language school. And you sit back and you wonder how is God going to to take a family of four people, take them overseas? We have such a great opportunity next week to be a blessing to the wilderness as they get ready to go overseas and do initial expenses and things like that. But, you know, how does God, God takes all we have and he multiplies. All I can tell you is the Lord took us for 10 years over to Thailand, took care of our transportation, you know, and everything for 10 years. God only wants our willing hearts, gives us direction, and he supplies, ministers, and meets our needs. The most interesting part about this whole miracle was that the disciples, God, Jesus didn't give the food to everybody who was there. He gave the food to the disciples. Disciples shared it and the people began to share it. Everybody that was present that day shared the miracle and watched as they shared whatever came their way and it multiplied. They watched it multiply. What an unbelievable miracle to sit there and experience and watch God produce and multiply fruit. You know, and it's a it's a great, neat mystery to see that happen. But I want to take it and apply it a little bit here to this church. Jesus didn't walk around and feed everybody that was there. People got fed as things began to get shared, and it multiplied. If everybody was in a, this is vacation time, but in, in our good time, when we have like 600 people and three services, four services in the fall maybe, but we have 600 people there, if Pastor Tim wanted to visit every one of them, you know, one a day, how long would that take him? Where's my, where's my master? How long would it take? About two years, you know? It would take him two years to minister to 600 people, you know, one person per day. You know, it's like we we have so much of church backwards. God didn't design Sunday morning to minister and meet the needs of everybody. Sunday morning is a time when we come together and we rejoice over what God's been doing seven days a week. And, you know, if Sunday morning is the only time that, we're, that you're, to, you're here fellowshipping with believers, which is a good one. You're missing a tremendous blessing. Because it's not in the big meeting. You know, if I asked everybody in this room, how many of you have needs? How many have needs? Okay. How many, we all have needs. If I were to go around this room this morning and ask everybody in this room to give me two needs that we could pray for, how long would that take? And then we took time to pray for those needs. How long would we be here today? Well, most of you would be late because, you know, we only live by a clock and when it's 12, I'm done, I'm leaving. But anyway, but, you know, it's it's not even practical. It would be great, but it's not practical. You know, God didn't design Sunday morning to meet our needs, but he did design the body of Christ to meet our needs. He designed the fact that the body of Christ needs to be spending time together Sharing with one another, sharing one another's burdens, and growing together. I mean, this is, this is our, my plug for life groups, which was small groups. We call it small groups. Life groups start again in the fall. <clears throat> but I, I don't want to get people into a guilt trip. And, i got to be in life groups because that's you know. What I want to challenge you and encourage you in is the fact that we need the body of Christ, we need to be fellowshipping with the body of Christ. We're missing such a blessing if Sunday morning is the only time we're sitting here listening to the word. But it's in small group. It's in group life where people have needs met, where they find that people can care, where people listen to their prayer requests, people are praying for them, and they have the opportunity to bless other people. They get to share in the whole miracle of the work of grace by seeing God use their gifts. And believe me, their gifts begin to come out in small group. As people begin to share and have the opportunity to share, you know, we don't, all have, we don't have that opportunity in a large meeting. These are fun. I love Sunday morning. I am blessed by Sunday mornings. But it is in small group where people get to sit there and share and share their hurts and their pains, you know. And for so many people, so many of us do not get involved in small group ministry because we are so afraid that people will find out what we're really like. My friend, there is nothing that is in you that I have not seen in many, many, and probably almost everybody in here. We are all made out of the same cookie dough. We all have the same needs, the same hurts, the same personality conflicts, the same quirks. You know? And it is in body life that God ministers to the body, and the body grows. And And I, I just want to share with you that We have church backwards. When we're revolving our Christianity around Sunday morning, we are missing the boat. Sunday morning should be the celebration of what Christ is doing in our home seven days a week. And I cannot tell you what an example it is to children to see Bible study in their home, to see their parents involved in study, to see where the Word of God is taught right in their home. Because if it's not... If the only place your children know about the Lord is when they come here on Sunday morning, then they're growing up in a religion. It doesn't make any difference how much truth we're teaching up in this pulpit. It becomes nothing more than a religion to them. They need to see body life. They need to see the Word of God functioning. And we all need to begin to experience the grace of God working in our hearts, working to use us to minister to others and to be ministered by others. We need each other desperately. You know, we look at the way God created the world. God created the world in codependence. Everything depends upon everything else. The animal kingdom depends upon the plant kingdom. The oxygen depends upon lightning. You know, um, the sorry, the fertilization depends upon lightning. You know, it's amazing the amount of things that God has worked where people Things are dependent upon others. You go to Ephesians 4, the body of Christ needs the body of Christ to be functioning, to be a blessing to one another. My heart's challenge is not, I do not want to put people on a guilt trip. I I do not believe in guilt trips. To ask the Lord, Lord, help me to get involved in people's lives during the week where I can be blessed and encouraged. I don't care if it's just two people praying together. If you meet with somebody for breakfast on the way to work once a week or something, but somewhere is where you're finding fellowship where someone cares about you and you have a place to pour your heart out to people. And that's the miracle of seeing God multiply the gifts of the church and to see the church begin to function the way it should function. Fear, fear is a scary thing. And it keeps so many of us from stepping out by faith and being used to the Lord. God multiplied. In fact, he so multiplied what was there. He took what was there. He multiplied it. They bought back more than what they started with. God taught the disciples that he is only interested in our availability. He will give the increase. He will multiply. I'm going to read the words to this song, and then we'll be done. The song is, He Giveth More Grace by Annie Johnson Flint. It was written in 1941. While we were in missionary training, we sang a lot before our meetings and training sessions and stuff, but this is one song that just meant so much to us while we were going through the training. It says, He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun." Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. Lord, that you love us. That you want to take what we have and multiply it. And Lord, all we need is to be available. Lord, you are not interested in what we don't have. You're interested in what we have. And you desire to bless others with it. And Lord, it's so hard for some of us to believe But Lord, it is so much truth as we begin to see you and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.